Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. So we were sitting on our couch in Bowling Green, Ohio, in our apartment. It was me and my wife. She was pregnant at that time with our first child, but no kids yet. And we were sitting on our couch. It was freezing cold outside. It's the kind of place that you look back at fondly where your life begins together. The kind of place where you plug a vacuum in once and you don't have to move it and you can clean the whole entire apartment because it's that small. And we were sitting on the couch and we were just spending some time praying. She was sitting here to my left and I was sitting next to her. And we were praying about moving to Frederick. Our friends, Michael and Ray, our lead pastor and his wife, Michael and Ray, had asked us, we want you guys to pick up your life and we want you to move here. And so we sat there and we prayed about it and and we both prayed and we both talked to God and then we both kind of shut up for a few seconds and we listened. And then we opened our eyes and we looked at each other. My wife looks at me and she says, I think we're supposed to move to Frederick. And I said, I feel the same way. And it was this initial wave of excitement of knowing where we were going and one piece of our future was set. And then I started to think, where are we going to live? We're pregnant with a child. I have a job on campus. I was there as a doctoral student. I have a job on campus making $15,000 a year. And now I don't have a job. I don't have any job prospects if we move to Frederick. And, and as the one who wanted to help provide for our family, I began to kind of feel the weight of the expectations and the reality of what uprooting our life and coming here meant. And it began to expose my, my vulnerabilities and my insecurities. And just to be honest with you, exposed is the perfect words that come to mind. That's how I felt about this move to Frederick. And so in our time left in Bowling Green, moving up to our, to our move here, we would go to bed and I would lie awake at night a lot and I would think and I would pray and I would say, hey God, like we trust you, but I'm feeling a little anxious about this move because there's a lot of question marks for me. And if you could just help me to know that what we're doing is real, I would appreciate that. And so I spent a lot of time late in that praying to God. And then uh, I come home from class one Thursday night, and my wife, who is not spontaneous at all, looks at me and she says, hey, we need to go to Frederick this weekend. And I was like, why? And she said, I found a house. It's the one. We need to go because it's going to go fast. So we go on a Friday night. Um, We look at the house on Friday. We sleep on Michael and Ray's floor Friday and Saturday night. We show our friends Michael and Ray on Saturday, put in an offer on Sunday. The house is ours on Monday which is super exciting, but we just pushed all of our chips into the table. So there is no going back now because we just bought a house in this place. So we're going to Frederick. And so we move here and I start the job application process. And if you've ever been in that stage of life before, you know how not exciting that stage of life is and so I would go I wanted to be a professor so I went to FCC and I went to Hood College and I slid my resume under doors and I tried to talk to people who weren't there and for a month nothing happened and I was getting really discouraged 
FCC contacted me back and said they wanted to do a job interview and one class turned into two classes which turned into three classes and then four classes and part-time turned into full-time and I had a job not only that but a job that I love I get to do every day Rachel has a job that she loves we have a great house we have friends and community and every single one of those question marks that I had and even ones that I didn't know that I had God answered in really big ways and so it's really interesting when we were getting ready to move to Frederick, I had the idea and the vision of how we were going to help impact this town and how we were going to help make a difference and change the world. But in the weeks leading up to this first birthday, looking back at it, I've been telling Rachel, it's the opposite. Frederick has changed our world. This church has changed our lives. You guys are impacting us, and we are proud to get to be a part of this journey with you. What's really cool about today is that you get to hear a lot of stories. The sermon is going to be short, which is also really cool, but you get to hear a lot of stories of why people are here, everyday people just like you who are involved in this church. And one of the first stories that you're going to hear are from some of our very first people to say they are all in with Collective, and that is two people named John and Tabby. Check out their video right now. I started going to church when I was a little guy. Ever since I can remember, my parents were taking me to Sunday school every weekend. They really started realizing like what faith was. And so I got the opportunity to kind of grow up in that um, from about 10 on until I got to about high school. I never went to church growing up unless my grandmother made me. My one grandmother was Jehovah's Witness and my other was a Southern Baptist. So my Jehovah's Witness grandmother made us come on like Easter and stuff like that. And then my Southern Baptist grandmother would make me go to Sunday school with her. So it was really weird because I'd be like, Grandma, I learned about this today. And the other grandma would be like, you're going to hell. I'm like, oh, I'm very confused. <laughs> and in high school, the closest church to me was a Pentecostal church. So of course my atheist mother and my Southern Baptist grandmother and my Jehovah's Witness grandmother were all basically in consensus that I was going to hell for going to church. I went to college in Pittsburgh and then moved in with my best friend in Northern Virginia once college was done and then to Baltimore when I married this guy, which was all right. Yeah. <laughs> we found a really great church that we loved called Mosaic. And we went there for a while. And then we had Noah, and it was really hard just to get back and forth to and from church. And we came up with a lot of excuses why we were like part-time church people. So November of 2016, we ended up meeting with Michael at Family Meal mm -hmm. um, for lunch one day. And Collective wasn't quite a thing yet. Um, so it was weird. It's like, hey, I'm starting this church. Here's all the information about it. And John's grilling him. And I'm like, that sounds great. And I feel like you like prepped us in the car. You were like, these are the questions we're going to ask. And these are the things we need to know. It was, <laughs> sorry, Michael. Hey, core beliefs, man. It's, it's important. It was important. So we get there and we're talking and we're going through it. And I don't know, it was just, it felt so right to me. Like this is, this is literally what we've been waiting for. They had their first Christmas pop-up. So we went to that. We met everybody then, and, and John started talking about what it would be like to kind of be in the band and music stuff, and... Yeah, these guys are cool, let's do it. Yeah. 
just getting it back into a place where we're in community with other people. Folks who are our age kind of going through the same stuff and get an opportunity to pour into other people, which is not something that I've really had, you know, since early college years when I was working with high school kids. We uh, got baptized on opening day in Lake Linganore. He got baptized and then he baptized me. Yeah, that was pretty special. That was pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. Since that day, we've both grown so much because it's part of our everyday lives now. I really enjoy being on staff at Collective. I get to see Collective on a Sunday morning and how it starts from the time we pull up the trailer and push out the bins to service, to breaking down, and then really to sit at staff meeting on Monday mornings and talk about how did this go? How do we make it better? Striving for like that next level and always constantly raising the bar, raising the bar, raising the bar. Year two at Collective is gonna bring two services, which is awesome. I'm really excited to see how much we grow. Not only growth in the team um, and the people there, but also growth in areas where you know, folks are able to excel in those spots where, you know, or those roles that they're really, really good at. Wherever you are in your life, it doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, we are all in it together. It's a church for someone like me who's been divorced. It's a church for someone who's, you know, in the rescue mission program. It's a church for somebody who's been a Christian their whole life. It's a church for the rest of us. Let's do it. I'm a hot mess right now, sorry guys. Um, it's our first birthday, we made it. <laughs> About like eight weeks ago, we're like, our first birthday's coming up. And I was like, unless something terrible happens, because that's just how I think. Uh, so for those of you who are here for the first time, you picked a great Sunday to check out Collective because we're celebrating our first year as a church. And so instead of me talking the whole time, uh, we're gonna share stories like the one CT shared or John and Tabby. And we have a few other videos of people that go to this church that at some point in their life, they got a mailer, they got an invite and they ended up here. And the reason why we're doing that is because I know I could get up here and I could talk about life change. I could tell these stories, but I believe that it's better to hear from the people themselves to see the people, because when you walk out into the lobby, those are the people that you're gonna connect with and say, okay, that's my life, I feel that too. You know, let me learn more about what's going on. And so uh, that, that's what we're gonna do today. And as Tabby mentioned in the video, before we officially launched last year on September 17th, we had started this process of planning this church. And so before we even called it Collective, before anybody had joined the team, before CT and Rachel had moved and, and multiple other people moved here to do this with us, there was Frederick. In September of 2012, I was working a job that I hated just outside of Baltimore. When I took the job, I knew that God was telling me that I was making the wrong choice. I felt it. And you guys have been in that place before where you're like, I'm going to make this choice, but it's wrong. And I knew this was a bad choice. And so for me and my wife, we were living in Tennessee at the time, and we grew up in this area. I grew up in this area. So we so badly wanted to get out of Tennessee and get back to like this D.C. area that I took the job anyways. The first Sunday there, I was introduced to the church and given the opportunity to meet as many people as possible, and it did not go well. As Ray and I drove home that day, she was crying, and I was disappointed because I was face-to-face -face with a decision that I messed up. I'd moved my family to a place we knew we shouldn't have been, and I put my family in that situation. The next six months were rough. 
There was a toxic culture on staff. I have issues keeping my mouth shut, so I couldn't keep poking the problems. There was constant confrontations, constant tension, constant disagreements. And at one point, I remember telling Ray that I was contemplating leaving ministry and never looking back. And I remember we were sitting in, in our apartment at the time, and I'm thinking, if this is what church is like, I don't want to do this. If this is what ministry is like, I don't want to be a part of this. In April of 2013, Ray and I felt trapped and needed something to bring us joy. Now, I'm obsessed with the show Top Chef. I don't cook because I'm terrible at it, but I like competition and I like cooking shows. I don't get it. Trust me, I'm bad. Uh, but it had always been a dream of mine to go to a restaurant where a Top Chef had been. Like, you watch them on TV, and you're like, oh, I want to try this. Are they actually good at this? And so in April of that year, Ray drove me up to Frederick to go to Volt. For the next three hours, we escaped into the city and felt peace and joy for the first time since we moved to Maryland. It was a glimpse of hope in a season that was only full of valleys. Fast forward to 2015, a lot happened in the years in between. I got a new job, I went to a lot of counseling, and I renewed my passion for the church. And so we were in this place where we were going to start a church, and we were looking for a location for that. And so I grew up in Loudoun County, I lived in Tennessee for six years. In my head, Frederick was not where we were going. In my head, Frederick was still full of farms, right? Like, I didn't want to go to Frederick. I was like, I already grew up in Loudoun County. It was just farms. I lived in Tennessee for a long time. This is not what I want. And so as we started to look for those places, people kept bringing up Frederick. Maybe you should think about Frederick. Maybe you should pray about Frederick. And so I did the right thing. And I said, no, I'm not going. <clears throat> as we searched and visited and prayed for cities, nothing felt right. We looked in Rockville and Gaithersburg, Locust Point and Baltimore, Alexandria, Towson. And every time we left, we realized that something was missing. And we're sitting down with Ray one night, and we're talking through, okay, if none of these places work, and on paper they look great, but they don't feel right, what should we do? And that's when she mentioned Frederick. She called back to the night in April of 2013 where we felt that peace, and we felt that joy. We felt like this city was an oasis for us in a season of our life that we just honestly hated. And so begrudgingly, we decided, or I decided, to visit. And as we walked down Market Street, we felt like we were at home. And we knew that Frederick would be the right place for a church-like collective. And so last year, we started Collective Church, a church for the rest of us, for people who are far from God, for people who have never been to church, for people who are broken, for people who are messy, for people who are longing for community. And over the last year, God has shown up in incredible ways, and he's just blown us away. A lot of great things have happened in our first year as a church, and to be honest, it'd be too many things to share with you today. So we're going to actually share seven or eight of the most outrageous things that happened in our first year as a church. So every week, we set up and tear down here at West Frederick Middle School, and a ton of work goes into that. And since launch, our production team has run 254,760 feet of cable, and that's just in this gym. You guys are clapping for that, and our team's like, that's a lot of, that's a lot of feet. So for perspective, that's 48 and a quarter miles. That's here to Baltimore. So our team in one year has run enough cable to get to Frederick to Baltimore. Our collective kids team has covered 18,720 square feet of space back there in blue mats, and that's enough to cover this entire gym floor four deep. You all have, uh, you've consumed approximately 1,997 cups of coffee. That's about 120 gallons. For some of you, that's like a week, maybe two. The band has played 50 different songs including practice, run-through, and everything in between. The band has actually played those 50 songs a combined 1,070 times. If you ever wonder why they're so good, that's why. As a church, this one is one I'm really proud of. As a church, we have served a combined 1,674 hours in our community. That's 70 days. 
And that doesn't include any of the time spent here serving on Sunday mornings. It's just everything we do outside in the community. This includes over 80 people heading out over two Saturdays in July to drop off bags and collect food for the food pantry restock so that the Frederick Community Action Agency and Frederick Rescue Mission could have food through the summer. This includes face painting, rock painting, s'more stations at Downtown Frederick Partnership and Celebrate Frederick events, serving at the Frederick Rescue Mission 10-miler, serving with Rotary of Frederick as they support amazing nonprofits in ways that we can't. That includes loving the teachers here at the school and a ton more. You all are a serving church and you serve well and that's something I'm so proud of. On top of that, you all have helped us collect over 20,000 pounds of food for West Frederick Middle School, the Frederick Rescue Mission, and the Frederick Community Action Agency. We've had 636 first-time guests, which is for a whole year, that's incredible. That means you are an inviting church. You are a church where people who are showing up for the first time think this is a safe place for me to check out who Jesus is. And this also means that you guys have helped us get school supplies for West Frederick Middle School, gifts for children at Christmas through the Frederick Rescue Mission, welcome home starter kits for homeless families transitioning out of homelessness with a religious coalition, and cleaning supplies for the Mental Health Association of Frederick. You all have done that by inviting and coming for the first time. That's what that turned into. And here's the thing, of all the things, this is the best of all. Since the launch of Collective, we have seen 38 people put their faith in Jesus and get baptized. And so if there's one thing and if there's one stat that we care about the most, if there's one thing that matters more than anything else, it's people who've decided to, put, to make Jesus the leader of their life. People who have accepted that free gift of grace. People who have realized that their identity comes from God and a God who says they are worth his perfect love. That's what matters. That's why we started Collective. That's the dream. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. As a church, we want to see marriages renewed. We want to see joy return. We want to see hope become real. We want to see the old life, old labels, old pain, old brokenness. We want to see that gone so that new life can begin in this church, in our city. And we know that through Jesus that this is possible. That's why we started Collective, so the new can be here. So if you are here today and if you are looking for new, new relationships, new hope, new value, new purpose, new life, Jesus lived a perfect life and died on the cross to offer that to you. You can have that. And so while we celebrate baptisms, and there are a lot of great baptism stories, uh, there's one that we wanted to specifically share today. One of the best moments that we've had at Collective actually involves three generations. On June 3rd, David and Denise Kuhn were baptized alongside their daughter and son-in-law and their grandson. Check out their story. A lot of people have asked me about, you know, how did I find God? Well, I never really lost God. God was part of my family from the time that I was a small child. I grew up in El Paso, Texas, going to Sunday school, going to church, went to church camp. My grandmother played the piano in a Methodist church in Fort Worth, Texas. I was born in Dallas, Texas, and then we moved to El Paso, Texas. My father, very strict. He made us go to church every single Sunday. We had Sunday school too, which was real important to me because that's when I got to really interact and, and hear things that weren't just from like a real ritual, traditional service. We married in the Episcopal Church. We had three children, Casey, Robin, and then I had my baby. His name is Michael. 
The boys had found Frederick and we love it. Denise and I moved here in 2011-12. Robin decided she wanted to go back and finish her degree. In May, she graduates from college, handed her diploma to her mom and said, this is for you and dad and I'm moving to Maryland. And I can remember how, how I'm feeling right now <laughs> that it, we said, what? She uh, wanted all the cousins to be raised together. At the time, we did, I think we had like three, yes. which we now have eight, and they all live within 10 minutes of our house. Mm -hmm. When we got here, we decided to go to church where Robin was going to church. We would have gone to any church that they went to because I wanted to be with the kids. They found collectives and she said, will you go to church with me? I'm gonna try this new church. And we went and I cannot even tell you the feeling that I got. When we got there, it was like these people, CT and DJ, they were all out in the parking lot. David couldn't go that Sunday, but he went the next Sunday and never missed one after that, for sure. He never missed another one after that. Back before we left El Paso, I was actually serving there. When we came up here and we were starting over with our church, we were like, we really, really want to find a church that we can call home and we can be a part of and we can do stuff for. Collective was a good fit for us because we could help and it could also benefit us. We both were baptized as babies, so it was kind of like different for us to think about. But we listened to Michael and when he preached about it and told us about it and we read ourselves because he always says, you know, don't always take my word, go read and see what you think also. And so we decided, yes, that that's what we needed to do. We needed to get baptized. And so Robin and Corey, it was funny because we hadn't really discussed it, the four of us. And then she came over one day and said, I think Corey and I want to get baptized. What do you and Dad think? And I said, I think we do too. We said, Michael, would you do it in our hot tub? And we, each one got baptized right there. But with our family around us. It was just, it was so wonderful, it really was. And then we had a big meal afterwards. We did. It we was did. fun. It was, <laughs> we, it was a great day. Yeah. It's, it was our church family, you know, the family. You know, when I go to church every Sunday, I look around and I thought, this, these are, this is my family, you know. I have my immediate family and my extended family and it's all right here. <laughs> <laughs> We model for our kids and for our grandkids what it should be like and what I feel like it is to love Jesus and to come together and be a part of that. Together is, is really the best thing in the world. One thing I tell David and Denise all the time is that as a parent, like my dream is that my kid one day loves Jesus and that their kids love Jesus. And so uh, that is a rare thing. And so that's why we love them so much is because you see three generations who get to follow Jesus together and figure that out together, serve together, be in community together. And I know for us, when we went to start this church, that was one of those things where like, maybe it could happen, but to see that come true, Dave and Denise for us are people that I know I look up to. And that's part of the reason why we wanted to share their story today. And so I, one thing I want you to know is that we don't share stats to brag. Like the goal isn't for you guys to be like, they're awesome, look at all these numbers. Uh, but we do it to celebrate because God is good. We do it also to set the bar 
as a church. So this is the benchmark. Today we celebrate our first year as a church, but we also keep moving forward. In the book of Matthew, there's an interaction between Jesus and his disciples, and it's one of my favorites. In fact, it has my favorite verse in it in all of the Bible. In the story, Jesus had just got done teaching and performing miracles for over three days. And so for three days, uh, he, he did miraculous things. He healed people. He, he uh, prophesied about the future and what it would look like. And he did these uh, kind of amazing and incredible things for three days. And at the end of his teaching, Matthew writes that Jesus had compassion on the people. And so he performed one more miracle where he multiplied fish and bread to feed over 4,000 people. But Matthew actually writes and tells us that, that that wasn't enough for the religious leaders that were around. They demanded one more sign from Jesus. They demanded one more miracle. They demanded that he prove again that he really was the son of God. So Jesus refused to give them another sign. because He said, I've already done this. Now, you've been here for three days. You've seen what I can do. I am the son of God. And that leads to this interaction between Jesus and his 12 closest followers in Matthew 16. This is what it says. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? This question comes in direct correlation with what just happened. It comes in the fact that the religious leaders were demanding another sign because if they were being honest, they didn't trust Jesus. They were saying out loud, hey, we don't believe that's who you are. We don't believe that you are the Messiah. And so Jesus asks his closest followers, okay, who, who, who do people say I am? What are people saying about me? What have you heard? He doesn't do this for his own ego. He does this because he wants to know where his disciples stand. And they replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And so, of course, they start with other people's opinions, right? They start with other people's thoughts, things that other people said about Jesus or things that other people have kind of implied about Jesus. And they're like, some say, or others say, still others. But Jesus turns the table and he says, okay, now what about you? Who do you say that I am? And at this point, his disciples had already walked away from everything. They'd walked away from their careers, their homes, their families. They gave it all up to follow Jesus. And so this is kind of a defining moment for them. This is the moment where it's like, okay, you gave this all up. Now, who do you think I am? For some of you here today, this is the question that's stopping you from living the life that God intended you to live. When you feel that question or you read that question or you're faced with that question of, okay, who do you say I am? You don't know how to answer that. You don't know what you believe when it comes to Jesus. And so this is a line in the sand question, and Peter actually gives a life-changing answer. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He says, you're the one who was sent to save us. You're the one that was promised to come to bring us hope. You are God in the flesh. You are our savior. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. Jesus actually commends Peter for figuring it out on his own. Peter didn't believe just because Jesus told him it was true. He believed because of what he saw. He saw Jesus heal people who were born blind. He saw Jesus raise people from the dead. He saw Jesus cast out demons. That's why he believed. Peter believed because he saw lives around him change, and he saw his own life change. For, you, for those of you who have doubts, for those of you that are unsure about Jesus, I know I'm biased, but I think this is the best church for you to be in. I think this is the best church to struggle in. I think this is the best church to ask questions in. And here's why. There is life change happening in this church. 
And if you spend time here, you will see marriages being healed. You will see relationships that are more authentic than the shallow crap our society wants us to have. You will see people who have more purpose even though they don't love their jobs. You will see people who are not afraid to talk about their brokenness as they work through the pain of their past and the mistakes of their present. And if you can see all these things and still not believe there is a God, then I'm not sure you ever will. And if I'm being honest with you and we were having this conversation face to face, I would say that you're probably just being stubborn. But the thing is, you don't need to take my word for it. That's why we're showing these videos. That's why we're trying to introduce you to these people. That's why you can walk out to our lobby after service and ask anybody with a lanyard on, and they will tell you that they believe because of what Jesus has done in their life and what Jesus is doing in the lives of the people that are around them. They don't believe because a preacher says so. And that's a good place to be, people. Like, you should not believe just because I say it. They believe because they've seen it. That's why Peter was confident that Jesus was the son of God and he was eventually killed. He was martyred for that belief and not only Jesus, but in the fact that he saw the resurrection. Peter gave up his life for it. That's why he worked so hard to let other people know how good God is. And Jesus continues to say in Matthew 16, verse 18, this is my favorite verse in the Bible. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. When Jesus says on this rock, he's talking about the statement that Peter just made, the profession that Peter just made, the foundation of Christianity and belief in Jesus is that he is the Messiah and son of the living God. That's what makes Jesus different than every other person that came before him and everybody that came after him. But then what Jesus does, is he promises the indestructibility of his church. He says that the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He's talking about hell. He's, but here's the thing, think about this imagery. Think, think about this honestly, gates are defensive, not offensive. Jesus saying hell cannot resist the church's advances. In Jewish literature, the gates of Hades is interchangeable with the phrase, the powers of death. Jesus is saying death will not overcome Jesus's church. We know that's true because death couldn't conquer Jesus when he died and was raised from the dead three days later. And that's the same God who raised Jesus from the dead is the same God who offers you that new life. And it's our job as a church to be on the offensive and show as many people as possible what the grace and truth of Jesus looks like. And so today, we don't just celebrate what God has done in the last year, we look to the future. Because as Collective continues, as we add a second service in October, as more people become a part of this community, more children who are food insecure should be fed. More teachers and administrators should be cared for. More people should know that there is a church that exists where it's okay to not be okay. More people need to know that it's okay to be broken, and it's okay to come to a church, and it's okay to be honest about that. More people should have the opportunity to put their faith in Jesus and have new life, new marriages, new hope. And ultimately, more people like Angela Hawkins should see that Jesus loves them unconditionally, no matter how broken or messed up they are. We're going to finish up today's sermon by watching her story. My life coming back to Christ has been a long, long road. It originally started back with me hiding in closets when I was little because I didn't know what my mom would do if I ran into her or she was having a bad day. We were in the church until about 12 years old. Um, that's when my mom got angry with God and she was like, none of us are going to church. My mom struggled with mental illness for her whole life. She thought that God had abandoned her, so we stopped going to church, um, and then everything just went downhill from there. And the whole time I had 
God was still talking to me, but I was so mad at him that I didn't want to hear him. And so I ended up joining the Army. My first year, I was in Korea, first duty assignment. I was a very trusting person. And then I was raped in my first duty station by someone that I thought was a great friend. And that was another blow of me being angry at God. And I was like, how could you let this happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? So I started drinking while I was in Korea because that was my way of coping. Because um, I felt like no one loved me. No one cared about me. I just felt like I was lost. And I said, okay, I'm gonna take my life. And so I went running down this dark road in Korea and I started to climb this hill. And I was, my goal was I was gonna climb up this hill and I was gonna jump off. And before I could even get close enough to the top, I heard God's voice saying no. Stop. And I stopped in my tracks. I started crying and I went back to my room. And the next day, I stopped drinking. I met my husband. Uh, when we started off, everything was great. I uh, started becoming verbally abusive. He started drinking and come to find out he cheated on me twice. And I was like, God, you know, you obviously do not love me. No one else will love me. And so I decided to kill myself. But before I did that, my nephew just had his daughter and I wanted to see her before I died. So I asked my sister to come down that weekend and she didn't know what she was walking into. And she still doesn't know to this day because I never told her. So my best friend came to my house and she was like, hey Angela, I'm not staying long. I just wanted to come by because my pastor in Georgia, he told me that he needs to talk to you. I'm like, okay, you can give him my number, I don't care. And so my sister came in at midnight, I spent time with her. And so the next morning we were just sitting on the couch, having a good old time, just talking, joking, holding a baby, and then he called. He was like, this is Pastor Mike. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, I've been expecting your phone call. And he just said the words, don't do it. And I instantly was like, don't do what? He's like, God has something for you and he doesn't want you to kill yourself. And I just started crying profusely because I was like, how could he love someone that's broken like me? How could he love someone who's made so many mistakes, had done so many bad things, how could he love me? And he was like, he loves you. He's like, I'm calling you to tell you that he loves you. And so from that point on, I decided to go back to church. And it was Easter weekend of all weekends to go back to church. And uh, that was like the, the point in my life where I knew that I was loved and that I didn't have to do anything for his love. I didn't know Frederick because the military said it was time to move. So when I moved into my apartment complex, I had checked my bell box and lo and behold, it was a collective flyer in my mailbox. My best friend was like, hey, let's go to Collective and see if this is a great church for you. I listened to the worship music and I'm like, I really, I really like this church. And I was just sitting there and I could hear God tell me this is where you're supposed to be. And my friend looked at me, she's like, you're coming back, right? I'm like, yes, I'm coming back next Sunday. She has been through with me thick and thin. When I decided I was gonna get baptized, I told her my family wasn't gonna come up. And she's like, don't worry. My kids, myself, my mom, we're coming up regardless. And then at the last minute, my sister and my niece and the kids decided to come up to see me also to get baptized that weekend. My favorite part about Collective is that 
regardless of who you are, where you are, how much money you make, rich, poor, how you dress, how you talk, that you are welcome with open arms. And that regardless of what, if you're a non-believer, you believer, you're loved, and that no one looks down upon you. That's the best part of being in collective. That's, that's why you started church. Um, and I want you to know if you're here today and you've got a mailer, right? Some of you are here because of that. And you are in a place where you're with, like Angela, I want you to know that you are loved. God loves you unconditionally. He gave everything up so that he could have a relationship with you. And it doesn't matter what you've been through or the mistake that you made or the pain that you feel, that's what God offers every single day to you. And so one of the things that we do each week, we're gonna move into a time of communion right now as we celebrate that. We take communion every single Sunday because it's a reminder of just how good God's love is. That he sent his son to live a perfect life so that he could die to pay the debt that our sin creates. It's not anything that we have to do on our own. It's not because we're worthy. It's not because we won't screw it all up in the future because we will. It's because that's what un unconditional love looks like. And so in just a few moments, the team's gonna come down, they're gonna pass some trays. And in the tray, there's a stack of cups. In the bottom cup, there's a cracker and that represents Jesus' body that was broken for you. In the top, there's juice that represents Jesus' blood that was poured out for you. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, we encourage you to take that and take the next few moments to rest in that and to have peace in that and to have hope in that and to have joy in that. Because ultimately it doesn't come down to a church, right? It's not about collective, it's about Jesus. That's where that hope comes from. That's where that joy comes from. That's where that grace and truth come from. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, we encourage you to take it, hold on to it. And when you're ready to take communion, do so. If you're not a follower of Jesus or communion is something that you're just not sure about, let it pass. No one's watching you, they're not judging you. But ultimately my challenge for you is this. Uh, today you heard multiple stories and if you've been around here a little while or your first time, these are real people who are serving back in these places right now. John's lead, gonna come up here and lead one more song. Tabby's on staff, Angela serves back in kids. David and Denise lead one of our small groups. These are real people who say, there's real brokenness in my life, but God has made, made it good. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, my challenge to you is this, take the next few moments, let communion pass and really wrestle and think about the fact that Jesus says he loves you and that he'd give up his own life for you so that you can feel that peace and that grace and that forgiveness.